morning, church. Uh, it is always a blessing to be able to gather together, although I feel a lot more aware of that blessing these days than I used to. And so thank you for, for being in this place together, and thank you for joining us online. If that's the place you still need to be right now, we're just, I, I'm so thankful for the gift of community. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever watched something unfold and then afterward you felt like what you saw changed who you are? When my younger brother Marcus was in fifth grade, he saw a certain movie at school. And it wasn't just any movie. In Marcus's words, it was the movie. Now, my parents were were blissfully unaware until they got a letter sent home to them that because Marcus was in fifth grade, the Gresham School District had decided that fifth grade was the right age, the right developmental stage for every student in the, the district who was about to go off to middle school to be at least given a basic introduction, an educational film that would, would help them understand Something that was admittedly, the letter said, a sensitive subject. And the, the district admitted, look, for some of, some of our families, we know that when you get this letter, you're going to feel like, wait, this is too early for them to watch the movie. And for other families, it's going to feel like this is a little too late. But, but we're going to go ahead with this. And so you might want to talk to your, your student and, and prepare them. And so, as you might imagine, in the Robinson household, there was some anxiety in my parents as they tried to, to talk to Marcus about this movie that he was going to watch. And they were actually more anxious about how Marcus was going to feel after he had seen the movie. So he goes that day and he comes home, doesn't say much. My parents try to be patient, try to give him some time to settle in there at the house. And finally, my dad tentatively asks Marcus, son, uh, how are you feeling? How, how was the movie? Do you have any questions? And with all seriousness on his face, my brother Marcus turned to my father and he shook his head and he said, Dad, I don't, I don't know. All I know is after we watched that movie, we were different people. Right? After we watched that movie, we were different people. What you see can change who you are. And it's not just Marcus, my brother, who found that out in fifth grade. We all know this truth, and it's a truth that we have to hold on to because we happen to live in a world that is constantly trying to get us to see what it wants us to see. And, And where we place our attention, where we put our focus, the kinds of things that we we really look at when it comes to to thinking about our our lives and our future, it shapes who we're going to become. If if we live a life where we are laser focused on on a life that's going to be filled with success and power and influence, then then that's going to shape who we become. And and our lives are going to start to tell that story. If if we get to a place where we're really focused on winning everything, winning every disagreement, every battle, every struggle, well, then our lives are going to be driven by that pursuit. If we get to the place where we're really focusing on having 
the ability to do something that's really impressive to other people, right? Where they, they look up to us or they're, they're blown away by what we're capable of. Well, then our lives are going to be driven in that direction. What we pay attention to, what we spend our time focusing on, it shapes who we are. And so if our lives are focused on all of these other things... The question John wants us to wrestle with is, we have an idea of what our lives might look like based on the kinds of of different areas of focus we might be embracing, but what would our lives look like if our, our core focus was the pursuit of Jesus? What shape would our lives take then? That's the question that... John's gospel is trying to get us to wrestle with. It's the conversation that the author of John's gospel wants to have with us this morning. Last week, we we started this new series and we kind of traced throughout scripture the way God's word was always present. And yet it was difficult throughout the ages for people to recognize God's presence, God's word in their lives. And it was even true when God's word found a way to come move into the neighborhood with us in the form of Jesus. People, they saw somebody, but they didn't see, not really, who they were in the presence of. And this week, we're going to actually watch as people interact with Jesus, the word of God, and how that interaction changes them. If you got your Bible, we're going to read in John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. John writes, The next day, John the Baptist, right? This is a different John than the the John who wrote the gospel. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples, his followers. And and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, my cousin. No, he, he could have. He says, Look, The Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, right, they're his followers, but when they hear John say this, they follow Jesus. Start walking behind him. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Okay, so how we see and what we see, and maybe more than that, what we do with what we've seen, that is central to understanding what John is trying to get us to grasp as the core message of his gospel, that so much of the journey of faith has to do with where we're looking. And when we catch a glimpse of God's presence in our lives, in our world, when we, when we catch a glimpse of God's truth, God's word, God's light, God's life, do we recognize it? Or do we have so many things going on in our lives, so many distractions, that we, we miss it? I mean, we take note, but then we move on so quickly, we don't actually see what God wants us to see. Jesus, at a glance, just looks like another teacher. Another person who happens to grow up in the region of of Galilee and is is trying to teach people what it means to, 
to believe in God and, and to be pleasing to God. And there's, there's all kinds of teachers in the countryside at that time. And yet, John's gospel wants to say, but for those who, see, who really see, they understand that they're encountering someone who's different. Now, it is significant to me that, you know, as they start to walk along behind Jesus, he notices them and then he turns around and he speaks for the very first time in the gospel. You know, it's, it's important when you're reading, studying scripture to pay attention, especially in the gospels, to the first thing that Jesus says. And it's not like Jesus makes some kind of declaration here. No, instead he actually asks a question. What do you want? Now, I think it could just be, you know, an irritated question like, what, what are you doing back there? What, what do you want? That's, that's not really what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's wanting them to wrestle with why they're following him. They already have a teacher. It's John the Baptist. They're already disciples of someone. And here in this this interaction where their former teacher says, here's the, the Lamb of God, that's all it takes for them, and they abandon him, and, and they make what had to be an incredibly difficult decision for them to go ahead and start becoming formal followers of someone they just met. Right? So Jesus is asking a direct question. Why? Why are you doing this? What do you want? What do, you, what do you expect to get out of following me, becoming my disciple? What are you hoping is going to happen in your life? Right, because Jesus knows that this decision they're making carries with it weight that's going to shape the rest of their lives, and not just their lives, but the life of the world. So he wants them to stop for at least a moment and wrestle with, why are they doing what they're doing? And I, I've thought about this as I've read this story this week. I, can you imagine if all of a sudden you're just going along in your life and Jesus suddenly turns around to you and says, hey, what do you want? Why are you following me? What, what are you expecting to get out of this? And I think I would be caught off guard so much that I would accidentally tell him a version of the truth that maybe later I would think, man, I don't know if I should have been quite that honest. Right? I mean, if all of a sudden I was shocked by the question of what do you want? What are you expecting, Jared, from following me? I might say something like, well, you know, there's all these things I want to be able to do and all these places I want to be able to go, and I'm just not sure that I'm going to be able to accomplish any of that or go any of those places unless you take me there. And, you know, I, I often think about life and how things are going, and I would really, if I just had my choice to make, I'd love to have a life that's 100% happiness and 0% zero, zero sadness. You know, and I'd like to wake up every single morning and have this sense that, that I am doing the right thing and I'm headed in the right direction and, and I don't want to ever wake up again with doubts or, or, or second guessing who I am and where I'm going. I'd like that kind of confidence, Jesus. And, and you know, I'd like to be really good at something that people really care about. I mean, could you fit that in somewhere in all this? And, and, you know, as I think about it, I'd like to win more than I lose. In fact, I'd like to never lose again. Could, could you work on that for me? Because I would love it if my life were one shining victory after another. Now, honestly, right, I, if I had any more time to think about it, I could give 
open and honest responses to the question, what do you want, that don't sound nearly that selfish. And, and they're absolutely the truth. If I had a few more minutes to think about it, I would say, you know what, I, that's not really what I mean. What I really would like to see is a world where no child ever, ever has to suffer again. And I'd like to be a part of that somehow, God. And, and I would like a world where everyone, everywhere experiences peace. Is there, is there a way that I can be a part of that? You know, and I would like for my girls to grow up, not just to be good young women, but I would like for Riley and Reese to turn into to people who reach out to, to those who are hurting and they actually help. What would you do if Jesus suddenly just turned around in the middle of your day and said, hey, what, what do you want? What are you following me for? What, what are your expectations? What, what kind of life do you want because you're my disciple? Now, I don't know exactly how you'd answer that, but regardless of my answer or your response, how selfless or how selfish those responses might be in the moment, that's the question these guys are having to respond to with no warning. And you know they have all the same struggles we do, and they have the same hopes and and fears and all of that. They have a hundred things they could say to that question, but instead of giving some kind of declaration, right? Instead of saying, this is what we want, do you know how they respond to Jesus's question? With a question of their own. They're quick studies. Jesus loves asking questions. So instead of of saying something directly, they ask their own question. Where are you staying? Where are you staying? You know, I, I look at that question And it it just hits me that when they have the chance to ask the Lamb of God, right? That's what they know about him. He's somebody special. He's somebody with power. He's somebody that that has more ability to change things than John the Baptist is ever going to have on his own. They know that much. When that guy asks them, what do you want? All they can think to ask for is to be able to spend more time with him. Man, that's convicting to me. All they can think to ask for. They don't want something else from Jesus. They don't want something in addition to Jesus. When he asks them, what do you want? They ask him for more of himself. Do you you see the beauty in that moment? All they want from Jesus is to get to be with Jesus. And with the warm light of, of true life, In his eyes, Jesus, the word of God, says to them, come and you will see. Right? Come and you will see what I do and how I treat people. Come and you're going to hear what I say to people who are brokenhearted and are just about to give up. Come and see my gracious way of moving through the world. Come and see That the time you've been waiting for all your life is finally here. Come and see. John wants us to know this wasn't a one-time kind of thing. That Jesus has these kind of interactions with people. Especially at the very beginning of his ministry as he's he's collecting a group of followers around him. He he has these kinds of conversations. And so we're going to continue. We're going to pick up kind of where we left off in John chapter 1, but this time we'll start reading in verse 43, and we're going to find two other followers. 
who have an encounter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Nathanael says, can anything good come from there? And what does Philip say? Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you. I I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see greater things than that. It's striking to me how quickly Philip makes this life decision, right? He makes it so quickly, you almost miss it. Jesus says to Philip, follow me, and he does. And he doesn't want to leave his friend Nathaniel out, so he runs to go find Nathaniel. And he says to him, hey, you know the one we've always been waiting for? The one that the prophets have talked about since, since the very beginning? We, we found him. I mean, he's here. He's, he's just down the road. And Nathaniel's response is, is to say, do you want me to believe that something that good is possible here? Something that good could, could come true here? Because they're in the neighborhood of Nazareth. Right, So when he says, could anything good come from Nazareth, he's not talking about some you know, huge uh, distance uh, that, that he would have to cross to kind of say, well, we're in a better part of, of the region. No, it's right there. Can anything that good be true in this messed up place? This isn't some you know, friendly conversation starter of a question. This is the heart's cry of a man who has spent his entire life waiting Waiting for someone he's decided is probably never going to actually show up. You know, have you ever gotten to the place in your life where you want to hope, but it hurts to keep hoping, and you're tired of it, and you're just kind of over all of it, and you decide, you know what, even if somebody tries to tell me that that the future's going to be better, or or that something's going to, to change, that things are going to improve, you know what, I'll believe it when I see it. Because that's how our world works, right? We want to see it first, and then we'll believe. But in the Gospel of John, you always have to believe before you get to see. You have to come before you get to see. You have to follow before you get to see. You have to believe, and and then you'll behold. right? Then you'll encounter. Then everything will be clear to you. When Nathaniel says, can anything that good be true here... It's with weariness in his voice. And I am convinced that Nathaniel has decided it's not worth hoping in. That maybe nothing's worth hoping in. And then for some reason, he sees something in his friend Philip. And even if, even if his hope has somehow died, it's resurrected in the moment that Philip says, 
we found him. We found this, this Jesus of Nazareth, and, and I'm sure that Nathaniel wanted some sort of logical explanation, right? Some sort of rational answer to the question, can anything that good happen in this messed up of a place? But instead of that kind of response, what he gets from his friend is come and see, right? Come and, and spend time with, with this Jesus of Nazareth. I, I, I think Philip is basically telling his friend, look, I can't exactly explain what it is. I can't exactly explain who he is. All I'm telling you is the time that we have been living, waiting for, it's finally here because he's here. And I don't understand it, but I've experienced it. So just, would you come and see? And I absolutely love what happens next. Philip and Nathaniel, they come walking up to Jesus who's standing at a distance. And the Bible doesn't say this little detail. But I've always kind of figured that since Jesus knows they're coming, he doesn't actually have to be looking at them. And so he's turned away from them. And so they're walking up towards him and they see him there. And Nathaniel sees him from the back. He just sees a silhouette. And it looks like an ordinary, everyday person because what John wants us to know, what all the gospel writers want us to know, that in a very real sense, Jesus is an everyday, ordinary person. But he's also so much more than that. He's so much more. Philip knows it. Nathaniel's hoping it. And they finally close the distance with Jesus And Jesus turns around and he looks at Nathanael for the very first time. And I would give just about anything to know what Nathanael saw in Jesus' face. Wouldn't you? I mean, I, I have spent my entire faith journey trying to picture Jesus' face. And every time I pray, I, I try to, to picture Jesus' face. And I know every time I try to reconstruct his face in my imagination, I'm just taking shots in the dark. And this story makes me think about the day, the moment, when I'm finally going to be able to walk up to Jesus and he's going to turn around and, and we're going we're gonna to be face to face. And there's a lot of things I can't possibly know about that moment, but there's one thing that I desperately hope is true. I hold on to this hope as tight as I hold on to anything, that when Jesus looks me in the face, that what I'm going to see in his eyes is that he knows me. That he recognizes me. That, that what I see in his eyes is going to welcome me home like a good friend, like, like family, like, like a brother, like a son. I know you, Jesus says to Nathaniel. I know you because I've seen you. I've been watching you. I've, I've been watching over you. And I know your struggles and I know your doubts and I know you're not sure about all this. But Nathaniel, I'm sure about you. And I know with all of your shortcomings and your struggles, You're not sure that you're a good person, but when I see you, what I see is a good person with a good heart, and I see somebody who needs to be taught how to really see. How to really see. So so come with me. 
and I'll show you things that are beyond your wildest imagination. Come with me, and, and I promise you, you'll see. That's what Jesus says to Nathaniel in John chapter 1. And brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's the same declaration that Jesus is making over each one of us this morning. I know you because I've seen you. I've, I've watched you. I'm watching over you. And I know your, your shortcomings and your struggles. And I know sometimes it's all you focus on. It's all you see. But there's goodness in you. And I want to help you see it in yourself and everyone else and in the world. Just would you come with me so that you can see it? Jesus is the one we've been waiting for, even if this is our hundredth time to go through John's gospel. Jesus is the one we're longing for, even if we've been looking in all the wrong places. Jesus is the, the one who can resurrect our hope, even if things have felt bad for so long, we can't remember what it was like when things felt good. Jesus is the, the one who sees everything about us, right? Everything about us and loves us anyway, even if there's no one else in your life who looks at you and loves you that way Jesus does. Jesus is the one who has the power to help us see God, to see God present to see God at work in our world. Even if when we look at our world right now, all we really manage to see is an unknown future where we have more doubts and questions than any certainty or answers. Jesus is the one who teaches us how to see, but that's only going to happen if we take the first step. When when his followers were asked all those years ago, what, what do you want? Their answer was to say, is there any way that we could spend more time with you? That's who, that's who we want to be, right? We want to be the people who, who start to catch glimpses because we've taken that first step and we realize that there's, there's so much more that we need to learn that there's a life and a light and a word and a truth and a goodness that we have, we have lost track of because we're looking in all the wrong places and maybe we're looking with, with the wrong intentions and, and the wrong expectations. But we come back to this place time and again as the church, as God's people, and we realize that we're going to have to follow first. And then we'll see. We're, we're going to have to seek Jesus more than anything else. And then we'll see. We're going to have to spend time with, with, with Christ until he has shaped our vision so that we can see. And I promise you what's going to start happening is that we will begin to see glimpses of Jesus in ourselves and in other people and in the world. And if our hope has died, it will be resurrected. Come and see, Jesus says. Come and see, Philip says. Follow first. Take that first step. And wait. And I promise you, what you see will change everything. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, I'll ask that you just open your heart to that possibility. We want to be the people who trust that there's so much more good to see and experience in our world because of Christ. Would you join with me as together we stand and sing?